Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. Yes, that could mean you too. The workouts have been designed to fit into your life so you can move when you can. The 15 minutes you can squeeze in before work. The 20 minutes you get to yourself while the baby naps. The half hour you can spare at lunch. There's a routine for you no matter what your day looks like. A reminder as well, this is included in your Mum Mia subscription. If you are a Mum Mia subscriber, you already have access to Move. Download the Move app and log in with your Mum Mia login. Head to move.mamamia.com.au and use code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of land and waters that this podcast is recorded on. From Mamma Mia, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. Family law can be a minefield. Separating parents are deep in their emotions, having to break away from what can sometimes be decades of familiarity and navigate pulling apart a family unit with the least amount of pain for the youngest members. But while some can do this while also thinking of minimising the suffering for their children, there are those who would choose to weaponise it and cause the most damage to the partner they see as having wronged them. New family law reform has now passed Parliament, changing the emphasis from the parents' responsibility to the children's best interests. But not everyone thinks this is the best way. We speak to a family law expert to find out whether sharing custody just got easier or harder. But first, news headlines for Friday, October 27. The Matildas have beaten Iran 2-0 in their campaign to qualify for the Paris Olympics. Coach Tony Gustafsson revealed post-match that he'd played superstar Mary Fowler in the same way her club team Manchester City have been as a wide forward, saying she's been outstanding in the league. His move paid off, Fowler making a big difference in the game, her 1-2 pass with Steph Catley setting up a goal for Sam Kerr. Gustafsson rested a lot of the Matildas stars for this match, but they've been told to expect rotation for different reasons as they take on the Philippines at Optus Stadium on Sunday. A man police are searching for in relation to the death of a young water polo coach at a prestigious Sydney school, reportedly called Triple O four hours after 21-year-old Lily James was believed to have been killed. The 24-year-old sports coach, who was also employed at St Andrews Cathedral School and is also a former student, had reportedly been dating Miss James for five weeks, the pair breaking up just days before. CCTV shows they met up inside the school Wednesday night where they argued. Officers who responded to the triple O call arrived at a confronting scene. The search for the man in question is continuing. Former Liberal Party staffer Bruce Lerman has been named as the high-profile man facing charges in a rape case in Queensland after a failed bid to keep his name suppressed. Lerman, who's not been required to appear in court and who remains on bail, is facing two counts of raping a woman at Toowoomba, west of Brisbane, in October 2021, an accusation he has denied. Barrister Andrew Hoare has argued that Lerman's psychiatrist had grave concerns for his mental health if he was named as the person facing these charges. But Justice Peter Applegarth determined the magistrate was right to have considered the apparent inconsistencies between Lerman's private claims about his mental health and his participation in four televised interviews between June and August this year. 
More than a dozen homes have now been lost in the bushfire in Queensland's Western Downs, with crews hopeful they can contain the flames over the weekend. The fire has claimed a life and destroyed 16 properties, burning through more than 11,000 hectares since it began on Monday. However, crews are hopeful they can have the blaze under control by the weekend, with rain forecast for the area later today. Authorities are unsure when locals will be allowed to return to their homes, with 267 people in evacuation centres at Dalby and Chinchilla. Australian citizens in Lebanon are being advised to leave the country now as the conflict between Hamas in Palestine and Israel threatens to escalate. More than 6,500 Palestinians and 1,400 Israelis have been killed in the conflict and with concerns the fighting will spread across the Lebanese border, Australian authorities are urging the more than 15,000 Australians who remain in the country to leave now. The government saying they're not able to predict they'll be able to help people out should the crisis escalate. Meanwhile, Green Senator Maureen Faruqi is calling on the government to strengthen its language around Israel's retaliatory actions in the conflict, saying committing war crimes is not defending yourself, that this is annihilating Gaza by bombing it mercilessly. This is not self-defence, it is way beyond that. That's your latest news headlines in a moment. Today's Deep Dive. In the 1990s, when John Howard was Prime Minister, Australia's custody laws were updated. It meant each separating couple would have an equal shared responsibility presumption for their children. It was supposed to make sure that neither parent could just up and abandon their partner with full responsibility of their child, that both needed to play a role in their upbringing emotionally, physically and financially. While that seems like a fair and open way of dealing with child custody issues, it didn't account for those who were not in fair and open communication with their respective exes. With access to children a right, those who would seek to abuse that notion would send their ex-partners back to court over and over, drawing out already lengthy battles over who has more or less rights. It meant that many women who'd been in violent and controlling relationships now had to negotiate with the very same person who threatens or harms them every time they hand over their children. They also had to trust that their children would be safe in their ex-partner's care. But research conducted by the Australian Institute of Criminology confirmed that Sunday is the most dangerous day for young children in Australia. And that's because this is the day the majority of them are returning from access visits. The old laws prioritised the responsibility and rights of the parents, even of those who would seek to harm their own family, over the rights and wishes of victims of domestic violence and their children. It would sometimes end in the worst possible scenario. Like when Michelle Steck sent her three-year-old daughter Kelly off to an access visit with her dad Kevin East. She'd already been fighting the system to keep her away from the man who'd been a perpetrator of domestic violence, who had stalked her, coercively controlled her, and who was desperate to get back the family that he thought should rightfully be under his control. He had an access visit with Kelly and he tried to suffocate her with a biscuit on a pillow because she came home to me and she said, Mum... Daddy put a pillow over my face and I had a biscuit. I couldn't breathe. When I told my solicitor, it's inadmissible, she's only a child, no one's going to take any notice. 
But I knew. I knew. And the second visit, she never came back. Michelle continued to struggle with a system where, despite her ex being found living in the roof cavity of her home and spying on her through the ceiling, police still didn't charge him and she again had to send Kelly off with her dad as per their agreement. It was torture because I couldn't trust that he was going to keep her safe and he was going to be the father that he pretended he was. That day, she's going, don't worry, mummy, because I was crying. It's not fair when you get put in that place. You try and you try and odds are stacked against you. The system is too gutless to protect vulnerable women and worse, vulnerable children. And the worst thing is, it's the same today. Research shows that a common trigger for a parent to harm their child is a dispute over access, accounting for 66% of child deaths in this scenario. But now the system that failed Michelle and Kelly is changing. Back in March, Federal Attorney-General Mark Dreyfus introduced a bill to Parliament seeking to reform this part of family law. The legislation, which passed Parliament just recently, Mr Dreyfus says, will make Australia's family law system safer and simpler. He says that the resolution of any parenting disputes shall always be based solely on the best interests of the child. But these new reforms have been met with some resistance from critics who say it will make it even more difficult for men to gain custody of their children. Currently, only around 10% of fathers who have their sole custody requests go to court are successful. Some men's rights activists have claimed this will open the door for unfair or untrue allegations to be levelled at fathers and that it will be a return to the old days of mostly sole mothers having custody. Pauline Hansen opposed the removal of the shared custody presumption, saying it will amplify bias against dads in the family court, but she did support the legislation focusing on children first. So what real difference do these changes to custody laws mean for you if you're in this situation? Melinda Winning is a partner at Barker's Doolan Winning Family Law, a family law accredited specialist. Melinda, can you give us an idea on how this new reform changes for separating families now compared to the old system? So the key change in this legislation relates to the manner in which the court will consider what is in the best interest of children when parties separate. In 2006, there was pretty significant changes brought in under the federal government, the Howard government at the time that put in place a presumption around parents having equal shared parental responsibility for their children and that led to a pathway of a mandatory consideration of equal time. The flow-on for that was that the court and litigants, most importantly, became very focused upon equal time and that was, in the opinion of many within the profession, a bit of a fail because rather than focusing on what is in the best interest of the children, there became a bit of a narrative around the entitlement of parents to have equal time with their children. And the research and the papers that have been done and the studies that have been done suggest that that meant that things like family violence were often put to the side. There was certainly some data collected that suggested people were entering into arrangements for their children that they didn't think were in their best interests simply to avoid this presumption of equal time happening if the matter went to court. 
So this change, the main focus is a shift to looking at what is appropriate and safe for the child rather than the entitlement of parents to have equal time. There were two primary considerations, or there are two under the current legislation. One focus is protecting children from harm. The other is ensuring meaningful relationship with both parents. And then there were also 14 other considerations that the court had to look at when considering what's in the best interests of a child. This legislation cuts through a lot of that and really simplifies it and sort of says, well, what's appropriate and safe? And then it has five key factors that the court has to consider. So rather than starting with a presumption, it starts at the very beginning and considers each matter as a whole. So it's been, I think, generally viewed as a very positive change by most of us in the profession who do a lot of parenting cases. How do we get the kids' perspective on this? Because, I mean, you're talking about maybe a kid who's, you know, two or under. How do we ensure that what they want and how they feel is taken into consideration here? Look, one of the other significant amendments is that one of the five factors is that the children must have a voice, which is more in line with sort of the UN Convention of the Rights of Children to Express Their Views. Now, with very little children, that's obviously very difficult and mostly, you know, not appropriate. But within our system, we have the appointment of independent children's lawyers to represent the best interests of the children. And that does give the child an opportunity to express any views in relation to the matter. So that's an important change that even in an international child abduction case, the court can now appoint an ICL to gather together the child's views But within our system, it's through the independent children's lawyer and the expert court reporters that the children's wishes come to light. They don't come to court. They're not interviewed by judges. They're obviously protected from the actual litigation, certainly once the children are older. And this legislation recognises that and, as I said, is more in line with looking at a child has a right to express views, which came out of a lot of research, I think, and data that was collected around, you know, people who were adults who went through family court proceedings when they're younger and the data that suggested they really wanted to be heard. No one really asked them what they wanted. Now, we know from the statistics that women currently are more likely to have majority custody of their children for a variety of factors, but there's this idea that these new reforms are going to dramatically shift it so that women will be even more likely to have either majority custody or sole custody of their children. Do you think that that is the trend that's going to emerge once these reforms do kick in? I don't actually. I think that if the legislation as it stands at the moment is applied appropriately, that outcome that you just suggested, women have more custody, arises because through the legislative pathway it's found that that's the best arrangement for a child. And certainly with little children where mum's primary carer, there's attachment theory and all sorts of things that point to the need for children to perhaps be spending more time with mum, bearing in mind more time doesn't mean less relationship with dad. So I would hope that these reforms simplify things, but the crux of them is what is in a child's best interest. I mean, it's also paramount within that exercise for the court to consider that, of course, it's in a child's best interest to have a meaningful and close relationship with both parents. 
but you don't have to have equal time to get there. I think that's been the problem with the current legislation. That doesn't make any parent a lesser of a parent, whether it's, you know, a same-sex couple, a mum-dad scenario. It's an arrangement that works for the child taking into account the individual case and the individual factors, and every family is unique. So I would hope not. I think with our judges, the change in society, the change in these matters won't be looked at as mum more time, dad less. I think that's a very old-fashioned sort of approach that I personally, I don't see it that often in the court system, in the complex parenting matters that I do because they involve so many other factors. Melinda, do you think this will go some way, though, to preventing the worst-case scenarios? Like we've seen where there are situations of domestic violence and then there's this presumed equivalent custody agreement in place which forces two people to be in contact with each other and sometimes the children end up being used you know against a partner or it could be a moment where someone a perpetrator of domestic violence can use that to continue perpetrating that domestic violence do you think that this will go some way to helping stop that well I think that's why we've had such a positive response because we've also seen that happen within the context of the current legislative framework that family violence, you know, can be pushed aside, ignored, because there's this presumption that parents should get along. And the reality is if you're in the family court fighting, litigating over your kids, there's a very good chance that there's a complete breakdown in communication, that there are underlying issues, whether it be family violence, alcohol, drug use, and those cases, an equal shared parental responsibility order or equal time is highly inappropriate. And so, yes, I think that's why we've had a positive reaction to the changes. Melinda, just finally, for people who might be in the midst of a separation or expect a separation to be coming in the near future, what should people know as they head into these discussions now where we are removing that presumed equal custody agreement? How do people approach it now? Well, I think the first step is look at the actual factual matrix and the dynamic within each individual case. I don't think we should throw out the notion of shared equal parental responsibility. It's always going to be there and it's probably going to be appropriate in the majority of cases where parents can cooperatively parent their children and communicate and there isn't a history of family violence. And certainly parents should just focus upon working towards a solution that meets the needs of the child or the children. If parents do that, they can never go wrong. It's when other things get in the way, things like presumptions, I'm entitled to equal time, that negotiations become really difficult. So my hope is it'll actually put people on a better footing to resolve matters outside of the court system because they're not fighting against one party saying, well, if I go to court, I'm going to get equal time. If you want to hear Michelle Steck and Kelly East's story, we spoke to her on our sister podcast, True Crime Conversations. You can check out the subscriber app with Michelle and the free app with Megan Norris, author of Look What You Made Me Do, Fathers Who Kill. The links are in the show notes. The Quickie is produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Callie Borg, with audio production by Tom Lyon.